I trust that you have the word with you today, and I'm going to invite you to take, uh, take the word this morning, take your scripture, and uh, turn to John chapter 2, and we're going to pick up verse 1 down through verse 10. And of course, as you well know, we've been in the series, and this is really kind of the end of that series. And so we're now in John chapter 2, and so I just invite you to turn there and just listen as we continue our messages on search for significance. Again, John chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 10. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Let us pray. Precious Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray for your anointing to be upon it. I pray that, Lord, that you would just... uh, Lord, just again, just wrap your arms around each individual as we just sit together in our homes or maybe in our workspace, wherever we're at worshiping. I pray that, Lord, that your spirit would go and just lift up and comfort those that are listening. So, Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the reading of it. And we pray and ask your blessing on it. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Now, I want to invite you just to jump right in with me as we look at, again, this continuing and really the ending of a series that we've been in. And uh, as we read the passage, notice that the very next verse explains that this was the first of many signs that revealed his glory. I mean, what better way does one bring glory to God than in transformation? And I'm hoping I got your attention when I say transformation, because you're looking at the story of the miracle that was wrought in Cana of Galilee, and you're saying, well, where's the transformation? Well, let me kind of walk through that with you, because there's several ways, there's several ways in which uh, we see transformation happening and taking place here. And the first way is the transformation of the relationship between mother and son. I mean, think about that for just a moment, this idea that there is this shift in the relationship between mother and son, because now here, as Jesus reveals himself, this is revelation of Messiah, that Jesus reveals himself, and now it is not just parent and child, but it is now servant, and of course, the high priest of Jesus Christ, the Messiah has come for all mankind. So that is the first transformation. The next transformation is of Jesus' own standing in the community. Remember, this was the beginning of revelation for who he was, Messiah. And so now recognized as he's coming out in this situation as, as, as Messiah and Savior of mankind, there is now this standing, this new standing that he has in community. And then there's the transformation of how the law would be fulfilled. I mean, Christ transcending and ultimately perfectly fulfilling the law. We know that in his death and resurrection. But notice in the passage here the, the symbolic stone jars used for ceremonial washing know the law, that are now being used for Messiah's introduction. 
And then, of course, the obvious transformation that's, that we see right on the surface, which is the transformation of the water into, into wine. You know what I love about this passage? I, I love that in, in Jesus' very first opening volley, he blows out of the water one of the biggest lies the enemy wants us to buy into. In fact, in the last few Sundays, I've been talking you know, about lies that the enemy tells us. In fact, each Sunday, I've given you one lie that the enemy wants us to buy into, one lie that Satan really wants us to believe. And this is lie number three. Lie number three. Here it is, that your circumstances cannot change. He wants you to believe that. He wants you to buy in this idea that there's nothing that you can do about life, that life is dismal, or maybe for some of us, we're in this dark valley and we're just wondering, you know, are, are things ever going to change? Well, let's go back to our text for just a moment. I wonder how many times, I mean, how many people that day in, in Cana of Galilee, how many would have said, I mean, hey, this is a problem. Uh, Houston, we've got a problem. I wonder how many would have said that, man, this is an impossibility. This is embarrassing. There's no wine left. I mean, unless a wine guy comes or some wine wagon shows up or maybe a guest brings, you know, large jars. Of wine. I mean, there's there is no answer and there is no help that's on the horizon. I wonder how many people, you know, thought that way. But what Jesus does is in this situation, he does something that is absolutely groundbreaking. No, it is history making. And that is that Jesus kicks off his ministry with a significant miracle that has tremendous significance when he performs the miracle of turning water into wine. And this is relevant because we're talking about what brings significance to one's life. Remember, I mean, that's that's the conversation that we're having. In fact, I cannot tell you how many times I've I've figured out answers to questions that I had by looking at Jesus' life. Why is that? Because Jesus does everything right. I mean, this is God that has become flesh. And, and I mean, this is the one that is perfect. And by looking at the life of Christ, I mean, I'm learning something. I'm finding answers to questions that I have in life. And so when Jesus acts or when Jesus speaks, I think the right response is, hey, listen up, church. Because Jesus is speaking and, and, and Jesus is acting. And so also a search for significance must happen like when one is searching, you know, for anything else. And that's by asking questions. I mean, if the question is, you know, how do we find significance in life? Then maybe we need to ask some questions like what makes you feel significant or how do we define real significance so we know when we find it? Is significance a vague unknowable like so many other things in life? And is the significance the same as when we do something significant in life? Let me ask that one again. Is significance the same as when we do something significant in life? I think the natural response in the search for significance is to follow our, our heart. I mean, it's no surprise that it is the strappings that society and those that are close around us, you know, put on us that often circumvents the, the self-discovery of, of the dream that we're chasing and the hopes that, we're ha- with, that we have. And let's just say for conversation's sake that we, we chase that dream and, and, and we do well and we end up some place that we thought that we wanted to be only to realize that holding on to significance is about as easy as trying to hold smoke in our hands. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the testimony of a young man that he came across. He was a young man that uh, really was self-made. He, he was a millionaire by the time he was 27 years of age. And this is what he writes in his his testimony. He says, if you equate your worth to how much stuff you have, 
then you will always be noticing people who have more than you. You'll always be feeling that you don't measure up. If you suffer from this, you're not going to get to some magical level of net worth and finally realize that you're valuable. In fact, the problem is going to just get worse. (laughs) He talks about later on in his testimony as he's writing about his life, the ache that is in his heart and the ache that he wants to, you know, he wants to solve. He wants to, you know, fulfill something that is in him. And he and he struggles with that very thing. And then and then he writes this towards the end. He says, I had a very high salary, a lucrative stock option and more money than I knew what to do with. But I felt anxious and dissatisfied. On some level, my striving for success had been driven by a belief that my deep suffering would go away when I had enough wealth. And that is not true. I'm more empty than ever. I guess if I were to make a note today, and there's a couple notes that I want to make, and here it is, that significance is not based on your physical security. Did you hear that? Significance is not based on your physical security. I I can't help but think of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 around verse 16. And he he comes to Jesus and he's anxious. He's been listening to Christ speak and the word of God. and, And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus then goes on to explain to the rich young man that that you must fulfill the commandments. And then Jesus goes through the commandments. And I can almost feel the excitement in the air as I read the story because the rich young ruler says, I've done that. I've done that. And then Jesus says, but you also need to go sell all that you have and give to the poor. The rich young man bowed his head. He went away sad because he had many riches. You see, significance is not based on our physical security. Significance, here's note number two, significance is not based on our productivity. Someone once said, someone wisely said, a wasted life is merely a collection of wasted days. And in fact, we all begin the year with the same number of opportunities, 365. The difference is diligence and determination. I mean, I love that. That's a great spirit, a great attitude. But the problem with that is that does not bring real significance. You see, because some have followed this, the very kind of reasoning, they've, they, they followed this to the end of life and they've been diligent and they've been determined and they've arrived at their dream and they've got the diploma on the wall and it seems like everything is what it is that they wanted, but at the very end, they're only weary and they're tired and they're in a dark valley and they just completely are empty on the inside. So how does one find significance? In life, what does this text about Jesus, you know, best demonstrate for us? And I think the fact is the the best lessons that we learn are oftentimes the most simple, right? And so we come to this passage. I mean, what did Jesus, what did he do here in this first miracle in performing? I don't even like the word performing, but in the miracle that he does in transferring in this transformation of wine into water. It wasn't so much about the miracle as it was about the example in life that he gives us. Because that's what's happening here is that he's giving us this example in life. And it's really not that profound because what he does is he does something very simple. (laughs) Is he finds a need. Listen to this. He finds a need and he meets it. He finds a human need and he, he meets that human need. And, and, and so Jesus, he took the time and maybe perhaps even a little bit of, of risk to help somebody. And, of course, there's a miraculous response that he gives. And, and you can see mom there pushing him. OK, now, Jesus, you need to do this. He says, woman, it's not time. But he takes the risk. He moves out of his comfort zone and, and he finds a need. 
And he meets the need. It seems to be so simple. You see, that fits perfectly with our our theme because our, our theme is simple like that too. God wants to do significant things with your life. But you have to be willing. Did you hear that? He wants to do significant things in your life and through your life. I think this is an allegory, and, and, and it's, it's not so much a true story. It's just a great story, and I, I love it, and I want to share it with you. It's a story of a, a young, successful executive that was traveling down a neighborhood street. He was on his way home uh, to, to where he lived, but he was kind of driving through a difficult, a pretty rough area. And he had just bought a brand-new Jaguar, his very first Jaguar, kind of rewarded himself for his success. He just bought this brand-new Jaguar, and he's driving down the street, and he's probably going too fast, and he's looking to make... Make sure no kids are darting out between the cars. And, and as he's doing that, he's going down the street. All of a sudden, over the hood of one of the cars comes this brick flying out from nowhere. A brick. The brick slams into the side of his Jaguar. And man, of course, he slams on his brake. He can't believe it. And he backs up to where the brick had been thrown out. And he jumps out of the car and he walks around. And he grabs the nearest little kid by the collar and he pushes him against the car. And he says, man, what did you do? Why did you do this? I mean, look at what you've done to my car. You know how much money that's going to cost? And he can see now the little boy, about seven years of age, is kind of trembling and afraid. But yet he's now crying because there's something wrong. He says, what's wrong? And little boy said, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, but I was trying to get your attention or somebody's attention. And I'm so small. Nobody would stop. And so I had to do something. Well, why is that? Because my brother has fallen. He's in a wheelchair and he's fallen out of his wheelchair and, and I need some help. Well, now the, the, the executive kind of wrinkles his eyebrows and he walks between the cars following the little boy and down the sidewalk around the corner a little bit. And there, sure enough, is, is laying the little seven-year-old's big brother, about 13 years of age, and he'd fallen out of the wheelchair. The wheelchair was over on its side and, and the 13-year-old boy's face was, you know, had an abrasion on it and something wrong was, was with his elbow there and, and maybe broken or something. And so the executive, he helps the 13-year-old back up into the wheelchair and he kind of gets him settled and, and the little boy now kind of gets behind the wheelchair. And, and in fact, now the executive is so shaken, he has no words to say at all. And he watches the seven-year-old little boy pushing his 13-year-old brother away to get some help. And with no words to say, the executive just watches for a moment or two. And then he turns and he walks quietly back to his car. And he looks at the dent in the side of his car that happened because of the brick. And then he gets in the car and drives off. You know what? That young executive never did fix the dent in the side of his car. And the reason why he didn't ever fix the dent is he wanted to be forever reminded of what has real value in life. I see, you see, I, I think we get distracted by all these other things in life that we think are important, or our own visions, our own goals, and, and we forget what really adds significance to life. And that is as we serve and we help others. And, and you see, we get going down this path so far that there's no way that we can really, you know, make the right turn until God throws a brick at us. So don't wait so long that God has to hit you with a brick to get your attention to realize that what brings significance in life is when we care and we serve others. And it's more about the other than it is about ourselves And I think that Jesus gives this example here in Cana of Galilee that that it was not just about the miracle that he was performing. But Jesus Christ here, he finds a need and he meets that need. He finds a need and he meets the need. 
I think during this time that we're going through right now, this pandemic, I mean, what a great way for us to respond, church. I mean, to find a need and to meet that need, to make it more about the other than what it is that we're going through. And, and yes, we need, you know, we need help and sometimes encouragement. We certainly need to worship and, and experience inspiration as we're doing, as we're worshiping together. But man, God is calling us to be like Jesus, to find a need, to make it about others and not so much about ourselves, and to glorify God by living that life like Jesus did. Let's pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge that you always give us. I mean, I never go away from your word empty. You always stretch me and challenge me. And Father, I challenge I challenge everybody that's listening. I, I challenge Mission Church of the Nazarene to make life, to make ministry about others and to figure out how to do that. And so, Father in heaven, I just pray that you would just, just help us to rise up to be your hand and your, your feet for you, Father. We thank you for that. We thank you for this answered prayer. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. God bless you, Mission Church. Have a wonderful Sabbath day. Enjoy fellowship as much as you can, Zooming and calling others on the phone. But thank you for worshiping with us. God bless and have a good afternoon.